There are some lies in our science books. Taught it for 15 years. Even though I'm not teaching it anymore, I still like to study. There's so many neat things to learn. We're going to cover some of that tonight. Perception is being managed. We are being steered and guided by a hidden hand. The whole world has been duped by the media that is not real. <laughs> smart thinking, possible time traveler, smart thinking. That night, boom, contact memory. And then, Alex, if you don't agree, you'll be sent to a re-education camp. Just because I'm old doesn't mean I've lost my touch with the ladies. Experts are suggesting that we're in a golden age of shape-shifting reptilian sightings. Now, why is that? I was, and still am, a huge conspiracy guy. I literally ran out of new tin hat topics to research. It was most definitely not capable of melting steel. Then I would be a crackpot if I thought that was that was the, the case. Thought that was that was the, the case. Welcome to the Hypothetical Institute, a podcast about conspiracies. My name is Luke. I'm Salty. I'm Cam. Gentlemen, how are we? Good. I'm really good, thank you. What have we got today, Robbo? How are you, Cam? I'm good, thanks. You just want to get straight into it. I I got a little bit pilled on this one. Oh, this is great. You're you're keen as a bean. All right, so today we're talking about Billy Shakespeare. William Shakespeare, let's use the the formal formal title. Well, does he deserve it? Yes, absolutely. Does he? Or is he a fraud? Or is he made up a fiction? Um, I mean, he definitely existed, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. We can remember- go see where he was born, mate. So someone was born there. Yeah. Do you guys remember ages ago some cooked unit emailed us or contacted us somehow about Shakespeare conspiracies? Maybe. Um, maybe don't refer to our listeners who are suggesting ideas as cooked <laughs> units. No, no, no. It wasn't one of our listeners. It was like some... Guy who I think he emailed you personally. He like he emailed your email address, not anything to do with the hypothetical institute. And he'd somehow gotten it, and we we're all perplexed about how he'd gotten it. But he also he had like an out there Shakespeare theory, his own little thing going on that he insisted we, we look into. This right. should have, you should have reminded me of this before we before I spent four hours watching Shakespeare documentaries the last two days. Anyway, never mind that guy. Uh, let's talk about Shakespeare. Um, and if, you, if you're listening to that guy, Ken didn't mean to call you a cooked unit. I don't think he was a listener. He just had, like, found the Twitter of right. the Hypothetical Institute at Hypothepod. And from there, he'd, like, found Robbo. And also, it wasn't your email address that was on your website or anything. It was, like, another email address. Right. He'd, okay. gone to, he'd gone to some weird effort to communicate in a creepy fashion. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today we're talking about Shakespeare. Can I just knock one off the top? I thought I'd do something a little different because we're going to talk about authorship and stuff, right? Right. So I thought I'll find out if there's any like conspiracy theories around the film Shakespeare and Love and its winning of the Oscar in the late 90s when it was up against Saving Private Ryan for Best Picture. Okay. And I didn't find any conspiracy theories, just the actual conspiracy that that was like the birth of the Weinstein sort of bullying campaign to get an Oscar for one of his films. Like, right. that's where he started, like, really playing the system 
And that's why Shakespeare in Love, which I don't think it's that good a film. Is it about Shakespeare? Yeah. it's So, it's about Shakespeare writing Romeo and Juliet. Ah. Uh, but it's all like the idea is that uh, everything's sort of based on his life. It's all these little things that happen to him that then inform the play. Okay. It's okay. I remember seeing it at the cinema in the late 90s, which is weird. But uh, it won the weird, Oscar. A weird choice for teenage cam. Yeah. I think uh, cam. I think it was a cinema trip that I probably didn't have a lot of choice in. Right. Mm. Also, in a small town, you quite often don't have a lot of choice. Well, I was in a city of 20 million people. What, Melbourne? No. There's not 20 million people in Melbourne. I was in Surabaya, Indonesia. Oh, mate. of course, yeah. Even then, like, less options. Yeah. Hey, I found that email. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I completely forgot about this. This is a June 30, 2017. Alan Taraka. Taricha? Taraka. T-A-R-I-C-A. Luke, I thought you might enjoy, and it's his website, Alan Taraka, exploring the sonnets of William Shakespeare. And there's a whole bunch of, like, did we yeah. Did we want to name the guy that Cam just said was massively cooked? Well... I said, I replied to him. I said, hi, Alan. Interesting stuff. Just curious. How did you get my email? <laughs> and he said, thanks for the appreciation. And sorry, I already don't remember how I got your address. That's right. Forgive yeah. this unsolicited email. Unfortunately, I've had to p- bypass the usual pathways. What? <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, I completely forgot about this. I, I feel like I correctly remember that it was a little bit creepy. It's very creepy. Um, he's he's somewhat active on Twitter. He last tweet tweeted Jan twenty fifth. He replied to someone. And is it all Shakespeare all the time? It's Shakespeare related, I think. He's replied to someone talking about the Lewis Car- Carroll conspiracy stories, but this person said, "At least I don't have to deal with those about Shakespeare." And then... He said, you should check out my website? Yeah, someone else said, oh, you know, those people, they're all dingbats who think the moon landing was a hoax. And then Alan says, funny people like you are on my list of idiots that are certainly of nonsense and stupidity and have no clue at all how insanely ignorant they actually are. Other tweets include Voynich manuscript gear, which we've talked about in the past. I'm wondering if it was around about that time. Um, so, yes. Very strange. <laughs> Have you guys seen the show Upstart Crow? No. Seems very much like the same plot as Shakespeare in Love, but uh, a comedy starring David Mitchell as William Shakespeare. Just found another thing about this Alan Terry set. Okay, someone else got an unsolicited email from this guy. Right. He's an infamous Oxfordian rebel, he's described in this website. Ooh. JamesHartleyBooks.com. Uh, a few days ago, I received an unsolicited email with the subject line, Writer's Fun. It was from someone, from someone called Alan Tarica, Taricha. Uh, I thought you might enjoy, know about my Shakespeare Sonics Exegist adaptation at Red. There were links to various web pages. I wrote back, thanks, who are you and how did you get my email address? <laughs> uh, and then the reply was, thanks for the appreciation. In truth, I already can't remember how I came across you. So this guy emails a lot of people, it seems. <laughs> Right, and his his response to how did you get my email is the same every time. Yeah, but it, mo- it might be I true. I've forgotten. He's emailing so many people. Yeah, he doesn't remember. I don't remember how I got yours. I remember how I got this other guy's that I emailed. That is crazy. So, I'll also I'll just knock off another quick one. Uh, as well as trying to look into Shakespeare and love, I thought I'll go back to the reliable well of Miles Mathis. 
the guy who writes PDFs that if they were books, they'd be like huge books. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he has a lot to say about Shakespeare and a lot to say about all the stuff we're about to talk about. And that is all of the stuff we're about to talk about has just been made up right. by the, the Shady Intelligence Project. Mm. And so Shakespeare was a fraud and it, like, it wasn't really him, but all of the theories that uh, people like Mark Twain and other secret intelligence operatives have come up with uh, just to throw you off the real scent. But it, this does have the classic line, just like J.K. Rowling, Shakespeare was an intelligence project. Right. Really? It doesn't make any... Well, maybe it does. Because you know how like all the the simping libs on Twitter just post everything that's like politics, but what if it was Harry Potter? Yeah. Maybe that's, you know, that, that it's, it's weakened the left to just having their brains broken to thinking, what if this was just Harry Potter? Right. Can I, the simping libs, don't get me started. There's, I think this is, you know how there were reply guys for Trump that would reply to every tweet? Yeah. The Krasensteins? Yeah. Or just them in general? Well, yeah, that con, the concept. Yeah. Now I've noticed that like every Biden tweet, I don't know if it's everyone, but I've seen it more than once. Someone, I don't know if this is official or not, but someone tweeting as his dogs replies to every tweet. (laughs) So he tweeted something. It was like some sort of serious issue as well. Uh, We poor prove 100 per cent per like a cat would do. Dad, we love you. Can't wait until you finish work late tonight so that we can snuggle a wolf. And what did the what did the person replying as the dog say? No. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Dotus, as in dogs of the United States. Champ and Major, your very good boys, bestest boys. P.S. We digged twenty one holes in the rose garden today and hid seven squeakies. We work hard too. Wow. And it was just one of those things where it was like, you know, that insurrection. Why couldn't they pull it off? They had like the zip ties. <laughs> just take it anyway if that's an official Biden team project it has absolutely blackpilled me yeah. <laughs> it's also probably working people are rallying around it I'm sure now I've just read a, a few more bits on this website because um, this person did a lot of digging into this infamous emailer mm-hmm. uh, he calls him um, He a lot of people replied when he sent out emails to his friend saying who's this have you ever heard of this guy emailing me about crazy Shakespeare things? And some of the responses were, he's sexist, deluded, uh, and a megalomaniac. Um, he is a computer programmer, uh, 50 year old, 50 year old married computer software engineer from Maryland in the United States. He's got a master's degree in management information systems. Uh, and he just spends his days, it seems, emailing people. I mean, I guess vaguely connected to writing might make sense for why he got my email address. I think, I don't know if my book was out at that point, but it wasn't about Shakespeare, but like, I don't know. You're a writer. Yeah. And so maybe he's just scouring like, you know, mailing lists or publisher sites. Or maybe he's read, you know, your book on the hundred best beers. And he's been like, this guy has a Shakespearean wit about him. I mean, firstly, 150, but yes. Well, that's a Shakespearean effort. Yes, thank you. Francis Bacon couldn't pull that off. <laughs> um, and this guy, he's an Oxfordian, which is one of the theories we will discuss. 
All right, should we get into the actual theories then instead of just all these shoeys? Yes. I mean, that's pretty relevant. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, take it away, Robbo. What's, the, what's your first theory? Um, well, I guess there are, there are four theories in total. I mean, I, none of them are my theories. There's the Baconian theory. There's the Derbyite theory. There's the Oxfordian theory. And then there's the Marlovian theory. Uh, I didn't dive into all of them because one thing I've learned about the theories around you know a, a historical literary figure with who's much studied is the theories are very studied as well. Mm. It's like QAnon, but everyone's got like a Doctor of English. Yep. <laughs> um, so I, I mostly looked into. Well, I watched uh, most of a documentary called. What was it called? Cracking the Code or something? Yeah, Cracking the Shakespeare Code. Did you watch all three hours of it? No, I watched <laughs> two and 45 minutes. Well, that's pretty much the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, hang on. You got oh. to that point you were like, nah, fuck this. I've got over. I've got an over an hour to go, sorry. Okay. No. I was going to say, well, that's still quite a fair bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, um, does, the, sorry, sorry, does the guy making the doco get pilled on it? A little bit. He He's kind of a good... I guess to, to sum it up, there's a guy who's doing a doctorate in some something Shakespearean. There's another guy who's got this theory that Francis Bacon uh, was actually Shakespeare, and there are clues written all throughout Shakespeare things and on you know on plaques and all that sort of a thing. And the the guy who's hosting it is mm, he's quite annoyed by it all. <laughs> Uh, and so every time he like brings up something, he's like, "This, I'm annoyed by this, and I'm a little bit angry." But then I'm also like, "Ooh, I can't really disprove it." So I, I've only watched the start of this doco, like the first half hour or so. But he goes around and he's like, "You know, I've got a doctorate in this stuff. You know, I've got a PhD. This guy is just some dickhead from Norway. Uh, he's a little less, he's slightly less contemptuous than that." Yeah. But he's like, this is just some guy from Norway. He's not a PhD. He's come up with this crazy theory. And I'm just going to go over there and, like, shit all over his birthday party. Yep. And But he keeps on, like, hitting that point again and again to the point where I'm like, you got a lot of sympathetic shots of this guy that you're apparently going to be trashing. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure that the end of this doco is not going to be like, and then I realized that maybe he's got a point. Um, I don't think he, he did realise that, but I think it's one of those things when you come up against someone that's so studied in one of these kinds of theories, and it's one of those theories that, you know, it's one of those conspiracy things that's an avalanche of things. Um, you know, we've talked about this with QAnon kind of stuff where it's like, you know, if you get the 10th letter from here and the 15th letter from here, that makes 25. And if you look at the 25th thing here, what do you find? Francis Bacon. <laughs> and like, you're like, well, I'm kind of lost at the first step. But you've kind of moved on 10 steps past that. Yeah. And we've talked to, I think we've talked before with like finding these secret codes and things, not just with QAnon, but like finding any sort of hidden message in anything. If you've got a big enough amount of source material, then you're always going to be able to find patterns or like patterns that were perhaps not intended. And in this case, their source material is the entire folio of Shakespeare his uh, tragedies, his comedies, and his histories or whatever, mm. which is a huge body of work that informs, like, a massive amount of the English language as well. <laughs> and it's like... It, it's also all these statues and other things written about him and pictures of him uh, as well. That said, some of the, like, stuff from the start of this thing, at least, was sort of convincing. 
Because what, what were you convinced by? Oh, just so the, the very first thing is that in the introduction to the folio, he's like, it says, no, look at this figure. And the uh, the reader, you know, the, the, the simpleton reader like yourself would look at the folio and say, look at this figure. And then they'd look at the picture of William Shakespeare on the opposite page and they'd be like, oh, that's the figure I'm supposed to be looking at. You know, the figure of William Shakespeare. I'm a fucking mm. idiot. Mm. But if you've got a big enough brain- you'll see that figure can have more than one meaning. Oh. I did quite like, actually, when he's, like, trying to explain it to the PhD guy. He's like, you know, can figure have more than one meaning? And he's like, well, I mean, it could be a literal figure or it could be a metaphorical figure. He's like, no, like a number. <laughs> <laughs> so if you take it that they're saying, look at this figure as in a number, well, where is there are there any numbers on the page? And there are not, except for... The first, uh, like, three starting letters on the page are T-W-O, two. <gasps> but the weird thing is that it's, like, it's not actually the first three, like, the letters at the front of the first three lines. It's the first, second, and fourth line. Because mm. the third line, they haven't capitalised the first letter in the line like they have on every other line. Mm. So, it is, it's sort of, you're like, all right, whatever. They just haven't done it. But then he, like, flips to, like, the next page and they've done the exact same thing again, the TWO. Mm. Anyway, there was things like that. And then there was a thing about the number 53. Yeah, I kind of didn't get that 53 part. I'm not... Oh, that's because he looks for the word bacon in (laughs) the works of Shakespeare. And it only ever appears twice in all of his plays. Oh, that's right. And one of them is on page 53 of, like, the tragedies. And the other one is on page 53 of the comedies. Right. And you're like, all right, maybe a coincidence, except for whatever reason, there's like no pages 47 through 49 in that bit of the book. They've skipped a bunch of pages almost as if they've had to do that to make bacon appear on page 53. Anyway, there's on the third, so there's three sort of books within the folio of Shakespeare. And on the page 53 of the last one, there's nothing, but that's because there's only two. And I think the theory is that there are two authors of Shakespeare and that 53 is important because uh, Francis Bacon was like a Rosicrucian, mm. which I think are like proto-Freemasons. Yeah, the Rosicrucians, uh, a lot of people claimed that they came out of the Rosicrucians. Um, there was, I think, a couple of manuscripts that, or, or texts that... Um, kind of like hinted at who they were and then, you know, other people were then, oh, no, that was us. And then it kind of grew out of, you know, who is the secret society. Uh, I think it's it still kind of exists in some modern form, but after digesting all the Shakespeare stuff, I had to kind of put it aside. But it does inform a lot of this. It was the Rosicrucians that were behind all of this stuff. And 53 is their 33, basically. Right. Yeah. The, the Freemasons managed to, you know, knock 20 off. On the the mysticism speed run. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They save themselves an extra keystroke. They don't have to move their hands. The I guess the the culmination of this theory, and and maybe they find that at the end of the documentary, is that the Rosicrucians dipped pages of the books, of Shakespeare's books, in mercury to, like, make them more precious or something and then hid them somewhere. And all of these clues that this guy is pulling out of all the things that are leading to that. Uh, I think he ends up at Oak Island 
which I don't think we've talked about before, but there's a show on SBS called The Search for Oak Island or whatever. Yeah, don't get sucked into that shit. Oh, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks so much. Fucking, oh, I think we have talked about that. Is that yeah, we have supposed to be Treasure? It. And there's like 20 seasons of them looking yeah. for it? And I yeah. put on season one and I was like getting so excited by it. And then I realized that there were so many seasons and I'm like, um, they're never going to fucking find this shit. I came across this discussion on Twitter of, on oh, sorry, I must have been on Reddit, sorry, of people asking people in the area, like live around there, like, hey, do you guys ever find like random things? And like, yeah, you know, you find coins and stuff from like ages ago, like you do in most parts of, you know, Europe and Anywhere. America and <laughs> where people have, where people have traversed through over centuries. Uh, nothing unusual. Um, but yeah, and then that show there, like, we've got to dig this well. 500 meters deep and then you know move sideways and mm, while looking out for booby traps yeah for all the effort they're going to no one would have gone to that effort to hide it yeah um but i think the theory is that 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 that's one of the things hidden in oak island are these these mercury soaked pages of shakespeare's <laughs> books right uh, i did the only thing i noted down from that one was the the 33 page cam interestingly enough oh really um but i did so that theory the bacon one that came from uh, who was it james wilmot who like came up with this theory in the late 1800s and then told his mate james cowell who lectured about it um and he's like oh we've got this theory Uh, and basically that's kind of where it all kicked off um sorry 1805 was when the like the lectures happened um, and then, but then the lectures weren't discovered till 1931. Uh, and then, you know, people are like, oh, this is where it all came from, these ancient lectures, which it seems to be they might have just been made up. But then that theory took on off big enough uh, that some celebrities sort of flocked to that theory. Uh, Freud, uh, Whitman, is that Walt Whitman, I'm assuming? Malcolm X, Helen Keller, Orson Welles. So, yeah. There's a lot of people that have been attracted to this this particular theory. And I think a lot of it stems from people... Shakespeare was kind of a regular guy, wasn't very edu- well-educated or, you know, by, by the, you know, upper-class cl- upper standards. So it must have been someone else. Mm. Well, that's where most of these theories come from, right? Is that Shakespeare's whole family was poor and illiterate and there was no evidence that he, like, really had any education. Yeah. And he he spelled his name differently all the time, and it's like he seemed like he was a, a bit of a dumb shit. Yeah, and also because like he's writing about kings and queens and things. Yeah, and he's just like a regular bloke. Like, yeah. how could he know about any of this stuff if he's not part of the aristocracy? To which yeah. I'd say, Robo. I mean, Robo, name four remains. Uh, Joey, Dee Dee, Marky, Bobby. I can't remember the fourth. Johnny, <laughs> Johnny, of course. See, Robbo, like, you really? can talk about punk stuff and you're a sellout. Yeah. Like, you, you, gonna, don't, you, you don't have to be from a world to know about it. Are you going to be like, see me on the street with my Ramones t-shirt and be like, name four Ramones songs? Oh, go on. <laughs> name four Ramones songs. Uh, Judy was a punk. Uh, Blitzkrieg Bop. Was Sheeta, Sheeta, Sheeta was a punk. Sheeta was a punk. <laughs> um, Cam. Oh, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm outing myself. I don't think I claim to be a massive Ramones fan, do I? I like their music, but oh, I was just—I wanted to call you a sellout, but I couldn't think of like any sort of other sort of punk question. No, that's the—that's the right one. You—you you did well. 
as a as a non-punk really a non-punk guy is like knowing remote the ramones the gold standard of whether or not you're a legit punk no there was a thing uh that went on for about 10 years there where ramones t-shirts were quite cool right they were very popular and well that that happened with a lot of people right because there was also a lot of celebs wearing like motorhead t-shirts and iron maiden t-shirts yeah and the whole thing would be like name name five songs yeah but like there's bands that i've seen multiple shows of that i really enjoy and i couldn't name five songs right yeah that was the thing i thought that if i would actually tap into what i thought you might be familiar with it would be very obscure 2005 pop punk mm, bands. yeah maybe yeah, that's funny. Yeah, maybe. Like some, it would be some sort of third wave emo thing that would be very unrelatable. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so I guess that's that's the bacon theory. Do we have any more on the bacon theory? Just, it's like he can write about a king. It's mm. nothing special. They weren't doing like any secret king business in the plays. They were just, you know, murdering each other. So That's, that's very relatable. You you can be a prince or a pauper and still knock someone off. I was going to say, I also read that Bacon um, knew the science of ciphers, which is, I think, where all the stuff about how they've put all the clues out of the writings that point to him. Like, he mm. hid a bunch of the clues in there because he knew all about that kind of shit. Yeah, Bacon was, like, pretty, pretty... He did a lot of things. Mm. He, was, uh, he was a G. God, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> 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 he probably knew five Ramon songs. <laughs> he definitely did. But also, oh, can I just say one last thing about the bacon code thing? Yeah. In this doco, they're like, oh, you know, these R- Rosicrucians were, and Francis Bacon, you know, huge fans of Gematria. Mm. And they're like, you know, in Gematria, A equals one, B equals two, through to Z equals 26. It's like, bzzzt, incorrect. <laughs> Yeah, like, what sort of basic B code would that be? But also, like... Not exactly the Zodiac. But also, that, that was their example of the code, and then all of the codes were just completely different. It's like, let's draw a triangle in this part of the page, and we find these letters. Yeah, there was one where it was, like, F, B, Acon, where it was, like, the first letter... Like, the first letter of one line was F, then the next was B, and then it said Acon or something on the next yeah. bit. And it's like, well, you're stretching it. And also, they were like, you know, there's all of these things where it says two, and they've done that thing, T, W, and then the net, there's a lowercase O and then a capital O. But then, like, one of the other ones they pointed out didn't have that format at all. They did point out that the TW, TW was repeated a lot. But, I mean, that's just rhythmic writing. Mm. Because I think that was that was in the sonnets, so like, of course he he used repetition. Yeah. Um. So the other theory, really similar to that. So that the Bacon theory is kind of uh, a little bit. Um, it's probably not. It's not the current theory or the current big theory. The current big theory is the Oxfordian theory, and that is basically the same, um, except for different it's, guy. Yeah, Edward D. Vera who was the Earl of Oxford, who died before some of the plays were published, but that's kind of just glossed over in the in the theory. Yeah, I read um, the, the thing saying that the Oxfordians disbelieved that the plays were dated incorrectly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's that one. I watched a video of that of Alexander War giving a speech at the Brunel University London. Um, and the guy that's introducing him, he's like, you know, this is a really, really cool talk we've got coming up. This will blow your mind. 
Also, we have drinks and nibbles available afterwards. <laughs> so once your mind's blown, put it together. Yeah. Come have a drink with us. Have a little sandwich. A little pig in a blanket. Yeah. And again, this is the same thing. I'm, I'm not going to go too too far into it, but a lot of it hinges around the pamphlet of sonnets, which the Baconian one also has a big chunk of, which is, was kind of interesting because two different people have looked at it or two different groups have looked at it and got two different codes from the first page alone that say completely different things. And that's kind of like, well, okay, that's, you know, it kind of goes to show if you're looking for a thing, you're probably going to find it. And yeah, There might right. be some codes in here. Yeah. But one of them, I keep on saying there's four T's everywhere. And the four, T, the four T's were central to the whole thing. You'll find four T's and the fourth T is Shakespeare. But he kept on, like the, on the page that he was kept on referring to, there was five T's. He just kind of kept on ignoring the, the capital T at the end. Yep. Uh, which was kind of frustrating because I, I wanted to sort of watch your reasoning that there's, there's five T's. And there is one, like a, the chario symbol, which is kind of like three T's, two sideways, like a H and a T on top. Yeah. And he's like, you see three T's, it's a, you know, a symbol. I can't be like, he went through the Latin of what it means and, and what um, it means to, to Christ and all that stuff. But he's like, there's actually a fourth T in there. And then he just drew like an upside down T, you know, where he'd already taken the three T's from. You can't just add in, like there was, yeah, it was, there's no, there wasn't a T there. It was quite frustrating to watch. <laughs> and yeah, basically he started just doing some QAnon shit. Uh, he, he said on the front page of the sonnets, there are, the paragraphs are shaped like three triangles, which I thought was pretty generous. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of two triangles and one, what's the flat triangle? Four sides. Uh, square. square. Yeah, no, but it's kind of got like, it's angled, but there's a, a trapezoid. Oh, yeah, or a, a rhombus, maybe? Yeah, yeah, one of those kind of things. I was like, well, <laughs> you're kind of stretching if you're calling that one a, a triangle. It's missing the tip. Um, and all the words are six, two, four, which is significant for a few things, but because uh, Devere died on July 24, which is six, two, four. Mm-hmm. But, it's not, it's 724. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, right. Maybe you see June, I typed it wrong. <laughs> um, either way, I don't think that's, a, like, British people don't write the date like that. No, they don't. 246. Yeah, they'd write it like normal people. I no offense to our American listeners, but you're cooked. Yeah, yep. you are cooked. I tried to look up how date formats worked in that era, but that's that's a really hard thing to find. Um, but I don't think date formats worked like that at all in that era. They would be like this: the year of our Lord, with like extra E's and yeah, that, extra <laughs> S's. And this: the year of our Lord, seventeen nineteen hundred and nine. And then he he said that the there were V's. The triangles were also V's, mm. but also there was T shapes as well. And they just, just kind of got went on from there. There was another fun example where he, a couple of um, the Knights Templar are drawn. You know the the thing you see in churches on candles? It's like an X, but there's a P coming out the top. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> he said, like, a lot of the Knights Templar are, like, drawn with their, like, standing leaning with their arm out that looks like an X and a P. Um, but he And he drew that, that over the top, and there was a picture of Shakespeare doing the same thing, like, oh, a statue, sorry. He's like, you know, this is a, a hint that he was actually someone else to do with the Knights Templar. But he was missing a whole line like there's no like, if you cross your leg over your leg and you lean into a P, you're missing one part of the cross. He again, he just kind of drew it on and moved on. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Why were the Knights Templar all doing this? Was it just a cool way to get 
painted? I mean, it like, possibly is why, you know, it was a little like, you know, we can, we can lean like, you know, if you do a YMCA, yeah. no one, no one's going to really fucking nickel and dime you over the fact your M doesn't really look like an M. Yeah. <laughs> and here I am nickel and diming them over there. Their cool little symbol doesn't quite match up, but it didn't match up. No. Uh, I don't know why they were doing it though. That was, yeah. You know what, yeah. You know what I say to the Knights Templar? If you know, if you're not, if you're leaning, you could be cleaning. <laughs> it's absolutely true. <laughs> and they would have had a lot of stuff to clean. Yeah, a lot of armour to shine. Yeah, yeah, there's so much armour with those guys. All right, next one. Uh, that's the only two that I'm really across. The, I, I can give you a quick summary of the other, the other two that we didn't really talk about. One is the Derbyite theory, which was uh, the sixth Earl of Derby. Uh, this one comes from the French, and I'm kind of cribbing these notes from someone on Reddit that uh, posted a big breakdown of all these. Apparently, a Jesuit spy, George Fenner, said... Uh, he bemoaned that the Earl of Derby was ben- busy penning plays for the common players and should instead engage himself more thoroughly in politics. He had been called the sh- silent Shakespeare by someone else, So, uh, but these days uh, it's apparently the flimsiest of the big four theories. And the other one is the Marlovian theory, which talks about the film Shakespeare in Love. Is that what you talked about before, Cam? Yeah, that's the movie yeah. I talked about. I think this theory predates the film, though. Well, I think a lot of it is... A lot of the in the movie, he's kind of Marlowe saying things, and Shakespeare's jotting down the sayings, mm. and then like you know, that's a little hint that actually he was doing it. Uh, but apparently, Marlowe was arrested, but there was no official reason given. He was stabbed to death ten days later, uh, and then uh, he was had a reputation as a duelist. That's a pretty good one to have a reputation as a duelist. Yeah, does that mean you win many duels? Well, you have to if you've got a reputation for being in jewels. Um, A heretic, a homosexual, a magician, tobacco user, and a counterfeiter, and a spy. This dude low-key sounds pretty fucking awesome. Uh, He's just doing magic, smoking ciggies, banging dudes, counterfeiting things, spying. But was he also writing plays like a boring dude? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he wasn't writing, doing some nerd shit like Rome, writing Romeo and Juliet. Or maybe that's why he was like, oh, I can't put my name on this stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, apparently he, his death was faked and he worked for her as a double, worked for the Queen as a double agent, but he never gave on his, up on his first love and continued to write and even perform as William Shakespeare. So, yeah, that's the Marlowe theory. Just, uh, I don't know why I didn't research that one. That sounds way cooler than the others. The old uh, XP symbol yep. is a Greek thing. Yeah. It's like the first two letters in the Greek word for Christ. Yeah, so X is K. Yeah. Which is why Xmas isn't a modern bastardization. It's actually historical. Is that a thing or are you making that up? No, that's a thing. Okay. Um, ben, you know, people, I think I've, I looked it up one time because people, you know, complaining about Xmas. Oh, we can't use Xmas. You've got to say Christmas. Right. The bloody, the bloody atheists are winning. And then to them... If that comes up for you guys, you can say, well, actually. Right. Actually. Actually. uh, Yeah, that's the summary of the the four theories. I guess what they don't really cover is all the other evidence for Shakespeare existing. Mm. Yeah. Also, could I just say, let's not go too hard on people that say actually, given the content of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, On top of the, the theories of that, there is also the theory that it was all of those guys. Oh, yeah. A consortium. A group, yeah. Group theories. 
that Shakespeare never wrote alone? Was it a group, including all those guys? Or was it Shakespeare, who was apparently, like, an actor but not a writer, but maybe he had ideas, but he got one of those people to write it for him? Mm. He was a front. Yeah. And that kind of one of the um, Oxfordian theories is he wrote it, but De Vere, yeah, dictated it to him and, and, you know, used Shakespeare as a front. Right. Uh, I think that's in the Bacon one as well. He's a straw, a straw man, yeah, a man made of straw. So he does, yeah. So he's doing it because I think it's because nobility didn't want to be involved with plays, yeah, because it was beneath them. Yep, yep. And and they probably were like, look, I I don't have enough forehead to pull this off. <laughs> yeah. I need someone with lots of forehead to be the front of this thing. Are you saying that Shakespeare has a five head? He mate, he has a nine head. <laughs> I've never thought that about him. There is a lot of noggin there. Yeah. Well, he's got to keep all those plays in his brain. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> is that all we've got for Shakespeare? Yeah, I guess, yeah, it is. I mean, there's, as, as, there's a lot more to it for all these theories, but if you want to watch a little bit of the um, cracking the Shakespearean code, mm. it's on YouTube, you'll kind of see that it's just QAnon. <laughs> and I, I guess what am I thinking was with a lot of these, uh, well, the two that I looked into, is that it wouldn't be the people writing the code that was also doing the typesetting of the books. Oh, well, no, I think that the people who put the books together were supposed to have had some sort of involvement in it because they, they weren't putting – it's not like a modern publishing house, right? <laughs> yeah, but, like, they're not – Francis Bacon is not writing all this, doing everything else that he's doing, and then going, hey, I just need to be there so I can line up these dots yeah. <laughs> on this page. Just make sure you knock out a couple of pages here. What I want you to do so that my legacy can one day be decoded by some cooked Norwegian is make yourself look really unprofessional <laughs> so that hundreds of years from now, people will know that the people who put these books together didn't have any fucking clue what they were doing. And you wouldn't do it. You'd be like, "My, hey, I'm my, publishing. I have integrity. This is my one big shot. I, I'm publishing Shakespeare's sonnets. Got to feed my family." That said, I when you're putting a book together in olden days, and like having to type, like put down every little thing on the press or whatever, how do you make a mistake like skipping four pages? Um, in your page I mean, numbers. You know the lady from here's a good example. You know the lady from uh, were eight out of ten cats does countdown, mm. and the other show that that came out of Susie Dent. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so she published a book last year that was all about words and you know obviously, uh, and the when it came out it was riddled with mistakes really? to the point where they had to recall it and she like apologized and said that was actually a, a first draft that stuffed up. Right. Um, every book I, I was reading, I can't remember what it was, but uh, it's like a, a pro, Pulitzer Prize winning book, and I found a mistake in it. So you're saying there are mistakes in every book? Absolutely. Even like, in I, ale, ales and heaps of ales? What, what have your books well, called? you pin me on not being able to name five Ramon songs. Cake Bottle you're, Can? Are there okay. any mistakes in Cake Bottle Can? Oh, absolutely there is. There's... And, like, I'm not even a good proofreader. If I can pick up a book, a uh, mistake in a book, there's going to be 20 or 30 mistakes in that book. I did notice, actually, when I was reading Kick Bottle Can, that beer number 49 was just rat poison. 
<laughs> drink oh, rat no. poison. It's like that doesn't seem right. It's like it goes really well on a summer barbecue. I did that. I did that for publicity. So you know, people are like, oh my god, this book's dangerous. You're trying <laughs> to Pete Evans it. Yeah, and it turned out no one read it. So <laughs> no one picked up. Oh, no. Oh, sorry, Robbo. Sorry for allowing you to burn yourself so effectively. <laughs> uh, First nah. mistake was that bloody cover photo, though, right? Oh, oh so over <laughs> saturated, right? Oh god! All right, guys. All right. Hey, uh, just just in a little aside. Yeah. Um, in 2019, when I was over in the UK, I visited Stratford upon Avon, which is where Shakespeare's from. Mm. Nice little town. Oh yeah. yeah, it sounds like a nice town. It is. Were there statues there? Oh, there was a lot of Shakespeare stuff. And, like, if you looked at where the statues were looking, were they looking at, like, a bacon factory or something? No, I didn't notice. I should have had a look. Well, that's uh, Shakespeare. Or as or as the bard himself would have said, if that was Shakespeare, I've had it. <laughs> Got a bloody literary genius amongst us. Before we go, thank you to our cooked $33 sponsors, Tammy and Vanessa. Thank you. Uh, and where can you find us on the socials? Well, we're at twitter.com slash hypothepod. We're on Facebook. We're on Spotify. Robbo, where can they get you? Uh, don't forget, we are also on Patreon, Cam. Oh, yeah. We're on Patreon, of course. If you want a, some extra news content. Yeah, check it out. Join everyone there. you get it. Welcome to uh, new patron Marty as well. Oh, hi, Marty. Thank you for joining us. You can get me at aleofatime, aleofatime.com. Put a f- couple of things up in the last week, so check them out. Nice. Salt. Uh, you can get me andrewsaltmarsh.com for links to everything uh, saltmar- at saltmarsh on Twitter and Instagram and stuff. And the salt on Twitch. And you get me at sexenheimer on Twitter. Gather around me. My other podcast is sort of back. Uh, so check that out. We did an episode the other day and I hope to do another one tomorrow. Good one. And Great. check out my radio show on 3CR. Yeah, nah, Passaran, which is all about the far right. All right. See you, folks. Bye, guys. Bye. Don't worry about a thing Except if all our world leaders are alien reptilians I said don't worry about a thing Except maybe the fluoride in our water supply contains mind-altering drugs Don't worry about a thing Except whether or not Port Arthur was a false flag operation in which to disarm Australia. I said, don't worry about a thing. I accept. You can definitely hear John Lennon say, I buried Paul at the end of Strawberry Fields forever. Don't worry about a thing. Except not only did Bush do 9-11, but he also keeps the planes out in Area 51, which... Let's not forget where all the aliens are. Don't worry about a thing. Except Donald Trump is clearly a woman.